Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch the original episode we'll be discussing in every other episode of HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm, including the new and final season on Max. You can also watch the video version of the History of Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast on Max and YouTube as well. Links available in the episode description. All right. Uh, hi, everybody. This is the History of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and we are doing the so-called pilot special episode. Right. Now, the first thing, before there was a series. Yes. It, it was so interesting to watch to me, wasn't Fascinating. it? And one of the things that I missed more than anything was the music. Right, different music cues. Different, I mean, it was a lovely, whimsical little jazz score. No, it was, score. It, 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 was, was fine. it was fine. The thing about the Curb music, you know, once we start episode one of season one uh, next week, is it creates the world that no, music it does. in it a does. way that I missed seeing By the way, this. most of the music cues are still from the first episode of the first know. season. And like it didn't, it didn't get moved or replaced. And I always felt like, well, we'll talk about it next week when we get to that episode, but it, the music cues to me are a laugh track. Oh, they can be. Yeah. yeah on the first one. Yeah. On the yeah. special. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I I didn't dig it. I just can't believe how much I missed the music on on this one. Well, I didn't miss the music because I was there editing every day and I was there with the music cues. Right. And so I remember that. So it just fit that. Yeah. Because the show, it's all, all right. I went to do a movie once in Toronto. Okay. And Toronto felt like the United States of America, but something was wrong. Yeah. Like Sports Center, hockey's the lead story. Yeah. That alone. But Yes, something which is, and by the way, we're talking slightly. And, and everybody's even, so much nicer also. Oh, in Toronto? Yeah. Way nicer. And that kind of throws me as a New Yorker. The Toronto's like Mayberry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how this felt. I agree with you. It feels like Toronto, this special. Yeah, so it's yeah. off, but but it is, um, I enjoyed it very much. I wish I could go back in time and we cut about 15 minutes out of it. See, to me, what was disorienting about it, watching it, and I think the only time I've seen it was when it first came out. Right. Was the the back and forth between the reality and the, and I mean, the, the story. Inter- it was annoying. Yeah. It was annoying. Yeah. And, and by the way, the interviews, all of the interviews were real except for my character. My character is speaking like... Right. He really is giving And Cheryl the was not interviewed, if I recall. No, not. Cheryl, yeah. So it was, um, to my analogy, she might have been, uh, having so. just watched it a week yeah. ago, but I don't remember. And by the way, I have a lot of notes written down. Good luck re- me remembering half of them. But if you ask questions, I'll get there. I'll remember I, something. A couple of things struck me. Okay. Um, the music was one. 
The other that was so interesting is that the basis of the characters of yours and Larry's and Cheryl's, which are really the only characters at that point, it was there. It was completely there. Except for one thing. And this is kind of fascinating. So Cheryl did not like Jeff Green. In, well, yeah, I was going to bring that up. No, yeah. she did not like Jeff Green. And she hated Jeff Green, she, as a matter of fact. Pretty much, and she couldn't hide her disdain. Some people just rub you the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, that's how I feel about Jeff. I just feel like... I, I'm not sure he's always thinking about Larry. And Larry, who is a big bowl of brilliant... When he went to the first episode, he completely changed that. He changed that. that. He changed that. And Cheryl always, I'd irritate Cheryl sometimes, but she grew to even love my character. What was the reasoning for that? Do you remember? No. What I do remember is Larry felt like the show had nowhere to go if that was our relationship. And Carolyn Strauss, who is one of my favorite executives, maybe my favorite executive of all time. She was an executive at HBO at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, Programming, you know? Yeah. And... Believe it or not, that was the one note we got. She wanted more of us. Conflict. Yeah, conflict between Cheryl and I. And Larry said, no, it won't work. And he was right. And he was right, And as back usual. then, I didn't know. I'm like, oh, he doesn't want to do conflict. Yeah. I didn't even think anything of it. And it was actually a, a big storyline. By the way, I don't want to make out like Carolyn Strauss, pretty much everything she says I agree with. Yeah. I just want to make that clear. I don't want to make it like she gave us stupid notes. That was the only note. There were no other notes going from the hour to the series. There was no zero. And what's interesting is Larry, I know in all his Seinfeld years, never took notes. People don't know how unusual that is. Well, I have my own way of doing it, which is I nod, I listen, I say that's great, and I never do any of it. But by the way, I'm always open to something being, oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. But most of them are terrible. Yeah. So, And I uh, don't think, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, beyond the pilot episode, I don't think there were any notes. No, no. You know what? There might have been, but they were just like the Little wind. Thing. Yeah. They were nothing. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if Larry even did some of them or went, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because he respected Carolyn Strauss. Yeah. And the feeling of the show is the respect one way or another. You know, HBO respected us, we respected them. However, HBO used to refer to us, even during the first season into the second season, this was our name, their little experimental show. Uh-huh. Because we shot digitally. Yeah. And we were we were improvising their little experimental show. Well, the little experimental show is now the longest running show and has been in the history and, of and HBO. And we felt that, by the way. We uh, felt that we were not the Sopranos. We were not Sex in the City. No. We didn't have that kind of budget. We were, you, we were just this we kind were, of, I got a barn, let's do a show kind of a thing. At what point, when you were shooting this initial special... Did it come up that there was going to be a series? Okay. The unusual thing about the hour, we shot linear. We shot everything in order. Mm -hmm. So if we were shooting a scene and then we're shooting another scene, a block down, and then the next scene's where we're at, we'd go the block, shoot it, come back. Like everything. And that's expensive. It adds to the budget, that's for sure. And it's difficult. It's difficult. So the first scenes of Larry and I, coming in and he's he's frustrated that he has to do this is this camera going to be here he's doing that well we had a little exchange where i thought to myself boy this could be something and that was he asked me if i want a piece of gum i said yeah. no, no i don't like gum i don't chew gum which is reminiscent of the time later on where we're on a plane where yeah. he said, what are you doing? I go, just nothing. flying, just yeah. <laughs> nothing. And then, you know what's so funny about that? He didn't like that. And he said, do something different. I did different things. And then he said to me, no, let, let's use the one, you know, yeah. with the thing. So we had this gum thing. And then there was the hallway with uh, the nodding to black people, uh, just giving them a yes. shot. His great line is, I want to show them that I'm one of the good ones, which made me burst out laughing. And that's how the show is. You hear something you feel like laughing at, laugh. That's not the way TV comedies have worked for a long time. For a long time, someone says something funny, everyone reacts like nothing happened. The closest to it, 
I would say, is the Andy Griffith show. When Don Knotts would do something, Andy would smile, would, yeah. sometimes laugh. Yeah. You know, to me, that's how it should it, be. In, right after that elevator scene, when you're coming out of the elevator, and I forgot, one of you points to the camera. It was either you or Larry. I don't remember who it was. I think it was you. Mm-hmm. acknowledges the camera. Right. So that's also something that's completely changed. Oh, yeah, completely. There is no camera now. There's no camera. There's a fourth wall, there's as a, we there's say. There's a fourth wall. But here's what I want to say you, to answer your question. Yes. We had so much fun doing all that. And then we went into to film the scene of us pitching the show with Alan Wasserman, wonderful actor, uh, and Judy Tull, uh, one of my favorite comedic voices of all time, who uh, passed no away a number, number yeah. of years ago. I was close with Judy. And my uh, wife of yore cast the show, which we talked about in the last episode. And Judy was a close friend of hers. But Judy did our show twice. And she was also in the um, the wheelchair episode, you know. And she was having a tough time, but she died, you know, of cancer. And um, she would, we filmed that scene. And even her in that scene, she nailed the typical executive. Executive. Uh, Is there any tape we could see? You know, and then Larry said the funny thing of, there's no tape anywhere of me. There's nothing anyone can see. And we had so much fun doing that. When we walked out of shooting that scene, that specific scene. Which was very early on. Very early on. And by the way, those were the real HBO uh, Offices. offices at the time. And when we walked out, Larry said to me, we're both standing by these desks, sort of away from the set. He said, oh, wouldn't this be great to do as a series? Now, I said, yeah, that would be amazing. But inside my head, I actually was saying, yeah, right, we're going to do a series out of this. So uh, then how did, what happened? We did, kept he, did he pitch it to HBO? No, did no, HBO no, 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 both. HBO wanted to work with Larry. But had and, they, uh, they seen footage? They had surrounded Larry, like they're birds surrounding Larry. I don't, I, I'm losing it. A loss. They flocked to Larry. And Larry told me when we talked about doing the show, he said, HBO really wants to do something with me. And he was sort of open to that because HBO at that point was pretty highfalutin. The Sopranos were lifting them up above yeah. everybody else. Right. So we had fun the whole time. And as we were cutting it, you know, and then afterwards, just going, that would be great. We should do this. Yeah. And I, of course, am not going to argue. Even though I agreed with him, I'm happy to not agree with him on things. But that one, no matter what, I'm like, yeah, that would be great. But you and didn't think it was going to happen. I, by the way, even by the last day of filming, I didn't think it was going to happen. my recollection is when he called me, which I'll talk about next episode, mm-hmm. how I got the part, because I'm in the first episode. This had not aired yet. When the decision to start shooting it the as series, a series, this special had, had not, not aired, aired yet. yet. Yeah. It's better that it didn't air yet because we didn't get a lot of viewers. Right. It was not like a huge success. Right. right. And then even the first season was not. I we know. built first up two seasons. Yeah, we, we built up slowly to where we started to know. What I can tell you now when we became a hit. Well, a I can hit. tell you anecdotally for me what the, when people started stopping me in the street. Season three. Okay. What happened? Season three. We followed the Sopranos. Oh, was maybe that it? a great season of Sopranos followed by us, and that went for three or four more years. Yeah. 90 minutes of, wow, great work. And I'm talking mostly Sopranos. I don't want to, you know, but that was about 90 minutes of television as good as it gets. Yeah. That was like Saturday night CBS in the 70s with uh, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and the Carol Burnett show. What? People who love the Sopranos were definitely going to love Curb Your Enthusiasm. But I'll talk more about that in future episodes. Yeah, when we go. So the thing that stuck to me about this special was your character was already your character. Mm -hmm. And I know that character is not you whatsoever. So I want to talk about that, how you created that. Larry's interesting to me because at one point he says, all I do is apologize. People are so touchy. I can't even leave the house. Well, that's the essence of of the Larry character. Very much so. But his acting was very, very different. He looked like he was about to crack up every single minute. I think you have that in reverse. Really? Yes. I think when he was doing that, having been there, I think he was less apt to laugh. As you know now, which I know, which is the great secret of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is you should really watch 
when it cuts away from Larry, because generally it cuts away from Larry right before well, he, he laughs. Yeah, he, he, he just laughs. When it's, but I don't mean that. I don't mean he, laughing. Do mean? I, I mean that in all of his scenes, he has a little smile on his face in a way that now he doesn't. Right. Now he's more in the character, well, in the scene. What I feel the difference was back then, he would go from a smile to really grumpy. So that way you notice them both. Like he was, whereas now it's sort of a combination mm-hmm. of the two. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. From executive producers Park Chanuk and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese American culture and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We're back. The number one thing from watching the first special was how good his acting was. I was so, because when we were doing it, I thought he was good, but I look and I go, wow, now looking at it, what a natural. Yeah, what a I natural. agree with that. I just think he's gotten so much better. Season two, season three, I say to him one day, boy, your acting has grown so much. It's so good. And he took that as an insult. Well, I know. Because no, whenever no, no. I say, he, hold on a second, I know. he really took that as an insult. And I'm like, man, you're bound to grow. He didn't understand that. He's like, wasn't I good last season, the season yeah, before? But also, whenever I tell him his acting is, I'll watch a season, I'll say, your acting was great. But I don't consider myself acting. That's I'm not acting. But he is, of course. Well, by the way, it's a different style of acting. It's a style of acting that you do and I do. But which we means, are acting. We are completely acting. And like you said, I'm not my character. But that being said, there's a naturalism 
That's our approach to acting. I feel as an actor, I'm only as good as the material I'm given. You give me bad material, I'm going to suck up the joint. You give me good material, and hopefully I won't suck up the joint. That's where I'm at as an actor. Whereas this, anything that I do and this, naturalistic, very naturalistic. Wow, we're given such amazing things to do. Can I just say something? Why don't you have a spit thing in front of your microphone like the shield? I don't know. And then I do. All I'm saying is, was the last time we did it, was there problems? Were you spitty? Yeah, or was so, I, maybe my voice is... So I want yeah. to get to, I want to get to... Uh, oh, did so I the tell note. the suit story? I told the suit story last time. No. That I, that I that I said that I wanted my character to wear suits. I don't recall that. Uh, okay, so... Well, because I just want to ask you about the yeah. character. So you made up this character of his manager who... Was even more clueless in this episode. Well, than, I you were, oh, did you base this on somebody? Yes and no. I because be, let me just say, you, you can say Jeff you Garland, want. the person Jeff Garland is extremely erudite and opinionated, and you know, um, throw and thoughtful, throw and thoughtful. But the character of Jeff Green is like a lug. Well, overall, the consistency of his character is he would do anything to make Larry happy. For his and he client. Agrees, he agrees. It's not even his client. We're best friends. Yeah. But, you know, and so I just agree. Just I, go I, along. Basically, I, there's a thing in improv called exploring and heightening where someone says something to you and you send it back to them at yeah. a more agreeable level and then it keeps on going. Well, that's my character consistently. But. I don't do a lot of character work. But as I was thinking about it, I go, my character should always be in a suit. Yeah, in a suit. And I told Larry, he goes, well, great idea. And by the way, you'll get a lot of those, Larry. That's how I do Larry. I do too. Which, I he, mean so. which he laughs at, but it really doesn't sound like him, but it does. It's like a character of him. Anyhow, I went into the producer and we didn't have a big budget. And I said, you know, I think my character should be wearing a suit and all time, a suit and a tie. Takes a beat and he goes, why are you saying that? You want free suits? I said, no, I can get myself a suit. I just think that you're wearing. Yeah. Look, if you want a free suit, you know, we went back and forth on that. And I just said to him, I said, please get me a couple of suits. And I left the room. Anyhow, the point being is when I watch that pilot, I'm essentially wearing fabric. There's no cut to the suit. They're the these are ninety nine dollars suits. But the suit, I think, is an important character. Without point a doubt, because it separates you. He's the comedian right. in his you know casual clothes, and you're the businessman. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the showbiz guy. Right. Let's get to him doing his stand up because that was the greatest pleasure of this. And every single bit of stand up that he did was something that I had seen him do in the eighties on stage at comedy right. clubs. Right, you know the two form the the well, posse. My the posse's my favorite. I love the, pos- the posse, but I, I love the uh, Jonas Salk. I remember him Jonas, doing that. Jonas, my my boy Jonas, my boy is no. But those are classic Larry, classic bit. Larry bits, and that's why comedians love watching Larry. I mean, who whoever thinks of a answering machine in the old west? That premise alone, you should go. That's the best premise. And, and the beauty of this entire special is you will never see that again. No. And and you haven't seen it. He said there's no tape of him. So we haven't seen it before. That, so, so that's so a time just, capsule. Exactly. No, just it's to very see much. him do the stand up. By the way, when I said I want to cut 15 minutes, the stand up would be the last thing I'd oh, ever want to cut. Oh, last thing. Last and, thing. What I'm, would you cut? Would you cut the interviews? You know what? That's like going back and like if yeah. I knew now, you know, yes, of course, but they served its purpose. And by the way, that thing, this whole thing is a great introduction. But there are scenes where nothing happens and it just goes on and it's not funny. And I've already said to Larry, remember that scene? We should have cut that. And yeah. he agrees with me, all the ones. But, you but know. this was the, the reason why I loved watching this, even uh-huh. though it was flawed, right. was because this was the colonel. But more than the colonel. More than the colonel. Yeah. And, it, and out of this came, you know, the brilliance of what Curb became as a series. And maybe you needed this. Maybe you need to have that. Maybe you didn't. By the way, any pilot... Of any show That's in history, true. the tone is going to be different from the pilot That's true. on. And if you, and as every an season, exercise for people, you could go back and watch pilots, whether it's Mary Tyler Moore or any of the classics. They're all different. The pilots are completely different than what they ended up being. More often than not, they air the pilot as the second or third episode. 
because uh, what they shot is better, but they don't want to waste the money of not airing it. Right. Yeah, right. that's true. Oh, by the way, you, you mentioned a caricature before. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anything has ever made me laugh so hard as that caricature of Larry. The, oh, the drawing. Okay. Can I say something about that? The funniest thing ever. I had that. Now, the big one went to Gavin Pallone, the one that's on the stage, but the little mock-up set. Yeah. I had that, and I don't know you where don't know it where is. don't know where it is. Well, you moved is, a few times. No, actually, I moved out of my home. Yeah. And I hope it's in the garage. So my wife of it yours' is garage. It's so funny. Well, I have that. And that it is thing. so perfect for him to, to be disgusted, disgusted by. Completely But what disgusted. also was great acting-wise in that episode was the executives, the HBO executives, their acceptance of Larry going, no, 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 never do that. No, no, no. And then they look the sad. Set, the set, the whole yeah. set they bring yeah. out. Oh, the and, Seinfeld and I, one. The Seinfeld set. And I love the enthusiasm of, of the set designer and, and showing yeah, it. Susie thinking, Nakamura. Yeah, Susie Nakamura and yeah. showing it and thinking it's so fantastic. And then and then it's all it's all there. The whole Larry persona the way, is completely there. Can you think of a funnier reply when you're the guy who created Seinfeld and you mention to someone, because he's making a um, recommendation phone call, for a guy who used to be the writer's assistant on Seinfeld. And the executive he calls, he says, Larry David, you know, I created Seinfeld. And the guy responds, never watched it, not Not a a fan. fan. That's from Larry's brain right there. I mean, that like, never watched it, not a fan. First of all, how can you not be a fan? And you know that happened to him. Oh, it did? Oh, I'm sure it happened I want to say, through the history of this show, at least 75%, if not more, of things these things happen well, to interestingly, them. in the show, when they're interviewing Jason Alexander, and Jason tells that story that he would read the scripts of Seinfeld, and he would say, this is ridiculous. Nobody ever behaved that way. And Larry would say, it happened to me. I behaved that way. And, and, and it was true. And by the way, that was the turning point of that character. Of that character, where yeah. he just knew to base George on Larry. I talked about the audition process last time, right, with Cheryl auditioning? Yes. Okay, we did. Cool. T- and when we have Cheryl on, which we will, I want Cheryl to talk about that as well. Okay. Oh, speaking of Cheryl, you know, one of my pet peeves, and I, I know that you're going to agree with me, is when Cheryl comes up to Larry after his performance and immediately starts telling him what doesn't work. Okay. That is my, as a stand-up comic, when you just come off stage and your partner or your manager, whoever, okay. comes over to you and start immediately starts saying, oh, this, you, you want to fucking kill them. Okay. So let's go there. Yeah. Yesterday was my two-year anniversary with Sari. That's my girlfriend. Yeah. Sari showed up at my gig. She's never done that before. I was pleasantly surprised and I was happy she was there. But after I was done, she gave me her notes. Oh. And now that she gave me the notes, they, it didn't even start with, wow, that was a great set. Right into the notes. And the truth is, as comedians, we don't bring our significant others to shows. Like she'll say, can I go to the comedy store with you? I'm like, no. No, no one brings no. their girlfriends, wives, husbands, boyfriends. Unless no you one. need them to drive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But by the way, the only thing that's appropriate that you see pretty often is children. Adult children. Someone's son or daughter. They, you see them at clubs. Yeah. You never see spouses, spouses, any of that, because that's exactly what happens. And other comedians are also on edge. That Wait they can't till be tomorrow. I have trained my husband, who's with me sometimes because he drives, not to say a word negative to me, only positive when I first come off stage. Right. You're so vulnerable. You're so raw. You're raw. I remember a friend of mine who I was performing with. One of her best friends came backstage and didn't say anything to me about my show. Uh-huh. And I, I was like, now, by the way, all you got to do is look, even if you fucking hated it, just look at somebody and go, great show. Great show. Funny. Done. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Over. You lied. Who gives a shit? Instead, you don't say anything. Uh, by the way, uh, a few years later, I became unbelievably close to that woman. She, I didn't well, date people, her, but she was a friend of mine. well. They're well, just, no, they, they don't, just know. don't know. They, they don't, just know. don't know, of course. Which not. is one of the things, actually, why I think so much of this show works because we're all stand-ups and right. we have an unsaid understanding of each other that nobody else really understands. It's amazing that Cheryl fits into that. Yeah. Because you, me, JB, uh, Richard, Richard Lewis, Lewis. And, and the two people that aren't are Ted Danson and Cheryl. Yeah. 
Of course, I didn't exist in the pilot. No. Um, but but I, you were married. I, by the way, ironically, though, I thought of you a lot more filming. <laughs> no, go ahead. But you were married cheating on your wife. So funny you say that. It's like we didn't see my wife. We didn't see anything. And by the way, that I came up with. Like, I, I you know, what? I told Larry my idea. About told, cheating. No, about the idea about the show. And I told a genius. And the genius created something that I thank him for every day. But the one thing in this hour thing that I came up with was the cheating aspect of my character and the whole premise of where he walks through the park Hilarious. with my girlfriend, Hilarious. with the woman I'm cheating with. Yes. And even the bar when I get caught, like now he laughs at me cheating. You really, you know, well, you really have a problem. At the he mar he marvels at it. But then when I pulled it off, he was polite and you can see disappointed. And that's changed. And, and confused. He Very was confused, confused by it. Yes. Uh, the, the, the scene with him walking in the park with Becky and getting right. caught. Your wife doesn't know anything about this? I'll, I'll tell you more later. I don't want to, you know. Becky Thayer, by the way, who I, I just thought. She was terrific. And Cindy Campanera. Those are two Chicago improvisers. Yeah. Cindy Campanera going through the park. And Larry. And Cheryl's friend. Yeah, and, and Larry explaining. And over-explaining. Over-explaining. Over-compensatory. It's yeah. hilarious. No, that is funny. Um, the other thing that struck me hilarious was Larry's clothing style, which is so different than it is now. He was wearing these big bulky jackets on stage. and it was I think just... there was a bulkiness to all of our wardrobe yeah. because it, it, it was cheaper. If my suits were $99, his were $199. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the difference. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. 
On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Another thing I want to bring up, because it's mentioned several times in the episode, is... He had children. He did have children. We didn't see his I children. I swear on my, the big storyline, I, I swear on my, my children. children. He spoke about his children. And was that a conscious, or, or was it just he has children in real life, so he had children on the show? Because once we started the okay. series, no children. That was not even a conversation, because we didn't know there was something that was going to be strange right. about him talking about his children. It was like, oh, children on my, and by the way, he only had children to say on my children's lives. I swear on my children. Yeah, yeah, because he thought of that premise, he has children. Well, first thing that was gone when the pilot, when we were shooting the first, no children. No children. No children. No Jeff and uh, Cheryl fighting Hating with each other. And no children. No children. Yeah, and of those course were the we, two major and changes. And we also know no hugs. Yeah, those are the two major changes that I noticed that you and Cheryl were not, you know, enemies and that there was no children. And then it was pretty much Besides cutting out all the doc style, right. the colonel was there. It was well, already the there. Saying, the clay had started to be molded. Right. And by, by the way, I don't know why that's so clever, but the clay had started to be molded and then first season molded even more. Even now we chip off this and do this and do and, that. And, and the thing you mentioned before about the kid who wanted the recommendation, yeah. that was the classic curb callback that, that started the episode in the very beginning. Right. The kid who wants Larry to recommend him for a writing job, and it was the almost the last scene. How it just completely See, I came wouldn't back. Call it classic curb. I would call it Larry's influences. Right. And one of his main influences, and I pointed this out to him. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Nat Hiken. Nat Hiken created Bill Co. Nat Hiken is. Yeah, Nat Hiken was a writer who created the show Sergeant Bill Co. Or uh, what was the other title? You. Something about you. You never. Uh, car you know. Ne- no, you'll never get rich. Was the other title. But didn't he do Bill- Car Fifty Four? Car Fifty Four. Yeah. Where are you? And those shows, the scripts like Curb, and no shows in between. It's like you tap a domino, like you'd see on the Tonight Show, and the dominoes would go in different directions, and then they would end up at this place that you didn't even know it was going to end up. That's Curb. Yeah. Every week it starts somewhere. You don't know where it's going, and there'll be closure, but not what you're expecting. Also, he did that in this pilot, in in the special. With the guy. With the guy. But what he ended up doing in the series is more than one of those. Several in per episode. We had no idea we're going to do more. Right. No idea. If I thought to myself, I, I knew it was great to do for my career. The best thing in the world is when you can do things creatively that, really help you in whatever ways. But the bottom line for me is always, is it creative and interesting? Not how much money I make. But you still didn't answer the question. At what point in shooting this, Uh did you know that there was a series coming or did you not? At no point. At no point. So when you finished this special. Still, it was not until a few months later. Before it aired. Before it aired, where uh, Larry said, uh, I'm going to go talk to HBO about doing this as okay. a series. But you, it was already I, finished. It was Ari Emanuel, myself, and Larry on the first pitch. Mm-hmm. Second pitch was just Larry. Mm-hmm. Ari may have, may have been there, but I didn't go. There was no need for me to go. Ari and, was his agent. Agent, yes. Michael uh, Patrick King, by the way, in this episode, and tell people who he is. Michael Patrick King, his show ran uh, Sex in the City. And by the now- way, 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 I love how you just said, tell people who Michael Patrick King is, and then you go on to tell well, people. What, but Michael Patrick let's King, tell hold people. on, I've known Michael Patrick King since I was 20. Yeah. He had a comedy team, King and Mende, mm-hmm. you remember back then. So I, I, well. I met him when I was 20 years old. Yeah. And I've known him and developed a friendship. He's one of Marla's, that's my wife of yours, Best, Best friends. friends, I know, and and so he he played Patrick, the HBO executive. PR person. Yes, and he was the showrunner for all those years for Sex in the City, City, and now the and showrunner means producer writer, producer writer, and what is it called? And now this, that's yeah. He what also the did the Lisa one? Kudrow one. 
Yeah, which the was, comeback, which the was comeback terrific. was awesome. But I thought he was amazing in this episode. Can I tell I you thought something? He was just brilliant. In the this idea episode. that he tells us in the limo this gossip, and then he mentions uh, Molly, Molly Shannon, Shannon that she fucked two guys to death, right. which is absurdness. <laughs> and then he starts explaining with a big grin on his face. Well, that let Larry and I know: don't trust this guy. Don't trust this yeah. guy. And then to me, that was not scripted. Correct. I mean, that was, all, was that was all Michael. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, mm. When I say scripted, I mean outlined. No, so much of it wasn't outlined. That may have been my suggestion to say that Molly Shannon fucked two guys to death. Either way, <laughs> the joy that he felt in telling oh, the my story, God, the smile. I just so he's enjoyed a, watching him. He's such a him. charismatic performer. It's unfortunate that he just it, writes uh, and produces. Yeah, he doesn't perform he's anymore. Really, that was the fun of this: is seeing yeah, you yeah. know there was so many comedians that we came up with, Alan Havy and. Mike Reynolds no longer, but, but just seeing all of these people was very, was very yeah. going down memory lane for me. By the way, Michael Patrick King makes what I think is the best scene of the pilot special by far. Yes. Larry David comes down and goes over the bill. Then he realizes that it's all porn charges. And I get very upset. I go, let me see this. You're not paying for this. And I kept saying HBO pays, pays for, for the, the porn. porn. And that I thought that'll be a catchphrase. And, yeah. and not in the moment. But later on when we cut it, I went, wow. And I kept saying it. And then Michael Patrick comes over, goes, what? And I go, doesn't HBO pay for the porn? Pay for the porn. And all he does is goes, oh, HBO pays for the porn. Because you can see him just, I'm, he's going to tell people that Larry David watches a lot of, of porn. Of course, because he's just but a gossip. But that scene I look at now and it truly was a classic curb scene. Totally classic. And people mention that. You, you mentioned that yeah. that episode. And yeah. people say HBO pays, pays for, for the, the porn. Without a doubt, I've And heard I that. think that that was also for your character, not to be psychoanalytic, but that was one of the keys to your character. That, well, by the way, that, that you was protect, the kernel. You protect your client at yep. all costs. By the way, if we were doing that scene now, it wouldn't be very different. And Correct. by the way, to me, the funniest thing in the scene is... At the end of the scene, the button is Larry looking at me and going, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and to me, that's the hardest I laughed. That's the hardest I laughed. And that's all it takes sometimes is that little shut the fuck up that Larry David says and the whole thing. And, and by the way, you know, do you know the funniest thing? To, one of the what? funniest things that struck me on that was you saying, why do you waste? Why do you waste? That struck me so oh, funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, why do you waste? It, it is funny. Because that's such a, it's such a thing of our parents, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. Why parents do you waste? Choose, yeah. you know, the big wasting. But I wanted to say something. You asked me earlier, and I realized I didn't address. How did I come up with the yeah. character? I didn't. I didn't come up with the character. I just did it. You just did it. When I say outside of the suits, there was no thought process put into that character at all. Zero. Not even a one out of a hundred. You know, uh, Zero. I'll talk about it next episode, but I pretty much am the same. I came up with how I wanted her to dress and that was it. Right. The rest was just, it's... Well, no, but, but, but I we'll want to say is, it. yes, because I have a thought on that. But yeah, so I never thought of anything. It just became... And then as I did it, the first season, like maybe towards the end of the season, I went, oh, I know who this reminds me of. But it was organic. Yeah. And I don't want to say. Yeah. But it's uh, a person and a manager and an agent all mixed into all mixed, one. It's a because combo of my, platter. Because, you know, combo platter. Because it, it, my experiences with them certainly colored my character, but I didn't know that. I have a question. When you shot at Caroline's in New York, mm -hmm. had you already, had you shot the stand-up in L.A. already? I told you. We shot in order. In order. Okay. So if we because went to New York I'm to shoot something it was, and there okay. was a scene in LA, I could see us flying across and the, the country. The reason back. I'm saying that is because I just noticed as a, as a performer how, and I know that Larry hadn't performed in years. Oh. And I noticed by the time he got to New York, how much more comfortable he was on stage. Very much It so. was really noticeable to me. And by the way, the show, as I mentioned last, was based on my time helping develop John Stewart's Unleavened yes. and, and uh, Dennis Leary's Lock and Load. So what I did with them, this is actually embarrassing yet funny. What I did with John Stewart and what I did with Dennis Leary, I had a different approach with both. John, I kind of had to lead him to a way of more performance. 
because he was such a great writer to just how to how to fill a room. Yeah, and that's, that's what we worked on. Yeah, and worked on with Dennis, who was much more of a performer, much more of a yeah. performer. And I wanted him to get to the real person that I know. That's what I wanted. You know, the stories. Just let people know the real, not the. Yeah. So we were filming this special, which I thought there'd be more stand up. Every night after the stand-up scenes, we go back to the hotel and I would give him notes mm-hmm. on his stand-up. Mm-hmm. And he took some and then nodded. And then at a certain point, he just looked at me, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Not the special. He didn't want me to give him notes, which by the way, 100% right. And they weren't even like real. Oh, there, I can see Larry. There's Larry walking over there. We're on set. We didn't even mention that. Yeah, we're on set right we're, now. We're in uh, El Segundo in an office building. And that's all I can say. Yes. Not a lot to say. But Larry David is walking by. And by the way, even if we waved to him, he would never notice. He would never no, notice. But he will come on one day when we're no, on set. Not, not one today. day, a lot. But, yeah, but not today. Yeah, but he's walking along. Was he got a coffee there? Probably a tea. No, a tea. Wearing not his a blazer and a blue sweater. Yeah, moving along. He's a Larry David, you all know. The, the, the other thing, also, yeah. looking at him and looking at you now, yeah. and same thing when I watched the first episode of myself, we were so young. Oh, well, let's talk about that. <laughs> but oh, just to get back to, Larry said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he said it, he was irritated. And I looked at him and went, yep, we should not be doing this. Why am I trying to help him? To, because... The reason I did was you show the making of a special and can go either way, depending on Larry's mood when we get to the end. Do you want to shoot a real special or do you want to have it end with you saying, I don't want to do a special? Having seen it now, it's obvious he's never going to do the special. Without a doubt. It was not obvious the first time I saw it, though. I didn't know. And I was actually looking forward to thinking, oh, I'm going to see more of his stand-up. Well, it wasn't clear to me while we were shooting it. Mm -hmm. So I approached it like I'm helping him develop, which is good for, it was almost like doing homework to prepare to be better for the scene. But once that caricature comes down on that big stage... And you look at it, and the scene with Alan Wasserman telling him about his stepfather, I mean, it's just a funny, scene. Well, at the end of it, scene. yeah, my stepfather. Such a great scene. It's just him getting out of it. And that really sets up the entire series of him getting out of things for 12 seasons. Yes, but, but by the way, that's Larry David, though. If you want to know a real version of Larry David, that's it. He loves getting out of things, doesn't want to do them in the first place. By the way, that's my instinct. I have social anxiety yeah. to the hilt amongst my many. Well, I'm no, nothing makes me happier than when people cancel. COVID was fantastic oh, by for the way, me. It ex- built an excuse for everything. Yeah, cancel, cancel, cancel. It's like that one episode when Larry, because of his mom's death, uses right. it as an excuse, right. which is one of my favorite performances. And we'll get to that. I know, but it's one of my favorite performances. So I'm looking at my, anything else. Well, well by the way, how long we've we been on for? About forty minutes. Okay, so let's wrap it up. Let me see if I have any other things. Um, Yeah, nope, uh, nope. This this should be, I want you to include all this. People love when I say nope. Nope, 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 nope. Stepfather, I'm already at the end. Seat, couldn't coordinate. Oh, the stepfather died from hitting a pole. Yeah, yeah, that's classic Larry too. And by the way, to me, the funniest line in the whole episode, not said by me, not said by Larry, but Judy Tull, who when Larry's explaining about what's going on and they're upset that uh, he's not going to be doing a special. She says, well, were you close with him? No, no, that? no, no. There's no bad people. There's she, no bad people. She says that amongst, which is like part of the discussion, yet a complete non sequitur. And the way she said, there's no bad people. But that is an example of a comedy instinct. Well, she was a great comedian. Of, of yeah. just knowing, yeah. and it's a great loss to no, us. No, it is. God, you know, I, I learned a lot more what a loss it was, Judy Tull, when I went to her memorial and they showed all this video of her mm-hmm. that I'd never seen. And I was like, wow, she was truly a genius. And just I hate when funny people die. They can't be replaced. Well, by the way, you know the thing about comedians? It's like, people may not dig me, people may not dig you, but whatever comedian you do dig, there's a personal connection that cannot be with any actor, any musician, even though people look, it's just with comedians, I don't know what that is, because I know I've experienced that when my heroes have passed away. 
Well, and what people don't know, or they do, is that you're wearing a Richard Pryor shirt right now. I'm wearing a Richard Pryor shirt, which, by the way, go to richardpryor.com, and there are a bunch of stuff, and they're amazing T-shirts, including the one I'm wearing. And all the money goes to the Pryor family. It's like their own Richard Mm -hmm. Pryor Pryor Enterprise, whatever it is. I, I love them, so there you go. So we're good, right? right? So we're good. And and uh, next episode, we're going to start with the series. Yeah, season season one. Season one, episode one. This was a two-parter, and then there'll be no more two-parters. Yeah, coming up, the pants tent. Oh, yeah, the first episode is the pants tent. I love that. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for listening. It's so appreciated for those of you who are listening. For those of you uh, using us as background sounds, that's delightful, too. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.